join me this morning. We will be in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're going to look at two sections. Uh, If you are using the Blue ESV Bible, you can find that on page 896. And we are beginning a new, a very short, uh, a few week, uh, maybe four week uh, topical series before we get into the Old Testament. And uh, I will admit it's been fun coming up with names for these sermons, uh, but uh, the, um, the series is Who Do You Think You Are? And this morning's sermon is entitled you... 10, verses 1 through 3, and we'll also look at verses 11 through 15. Our keywords for our worshipers and training are identity, create, and given. Now, in 2015, the New York Times Magazine ran an article in their culture issue, and it was called, The Year We Obsessed Over Identity. And in the middle of the article, the main point was summarized like this. It said, what started this flux? For more than a decade, we've lived with personal technologies, video games, and social media platforms that have helped us create alternate or auxiliary persona. We've also spent a dozen years in the daily grip of makeover shows in which a team of experts transforms your personal style, your home, your body, your spouse. There are TV competitions for the best fashion design, body painting, drag queen. Some forms of cosmetic alteration have become perfectly normal, and there are shows for that too. Our reinventions feel gleeful and liberating and tied to an essentially American optimism. After centuries of women living alongside men and of the races living adjacent to one another, even if only notionally, our rigidly enforced gender and racial lines are finally breaking down, there's a sense of fluidity and permissiveness and a smashing of binaries. We are all becoming one another. That's a lengthy article, and that's just a summary of it, and it deals with various events that were happening around the time of it being written, all pointing to this issue of personal identity. Now, I largely, agree, I largely disagree with where the article goes, but I absolutely agree with this main premise, and that is that the reality is that everyone in our world is standing around and living life trying to figure out who they are. Who am I? And we look everywhere we can to find an answer. Some look to Hollywood, others to designer brands or to the media or to our politicians. It's a terrible place to look, by the way. (laughs) Someone, somewhere, please just tell me, please just let me know who I am, how I can know who I am and how I should live and, and how I should act and what I should do and how should I do it. Who am I? Who are you? How do we know? And so we're going to spend this month through December, through the end of December in this series, Who Do You Think You Are? And we're going to be working through this question of identity. Now maybe something we don't think a lot about, but it's certainly something that affects us far more than all of us probably realize. As we walk through this, I want you all to think through that question for yourself. Who am I? Who am I? When someone asks you to tell you about yourself, what do you say? How do you answer that question? What is the most important thing you want to talk about when someone wants to know who you are? 
Are you going to talk about your job? Maybe your family, your hobbies, your possessions, the places you travel? Who do you think you are? And how do you know? We're going to look at John's gospel this morning, chapter 10, in two sections. I'm not going to do uh, necessarily a verse-by-verse exposition this time, but we are going to look at a general overview of this idea and something that does come up here, and we'll deal with it in more specific terms in the weeks ahead as we look at men and women and children uh, each week. So this morning, let's get into the text, John chapter 10, and we begin in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now look down to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, as we think about this question of identity, there are a lot of things involved. There's a lot of things that we can look at and think about, but really it can be summarized in two categories. And how we see ourselves in these two categories really comes down to who we think we are. The totality of your identity is summarized first by what is at your core that you identify yourself as most readily through the various roles that you play in the situations that you're in. Let me say it this way. When the question is, who are you, what do you most readily answer in that time? I'm what? A carpenter? I'm an engineer? I'm a mom? I'm a wife? I'm an American? I'm a southerner? Even better? I'm a Christian? How do you answer that question? What is the core that identifies you in every situation? Now, the second part of what gives you the greatest sense of significance and confidence, what do you you find your greatest value in? What do you look to in order to validate your purpose, to validate your station in life, your reason for living, why you get up every morning? And and here's where the greatest hang-up exists in this question. I think most of us probably have some answer to that first part, but it may... It may not be an accurate assessment, but we at least have an answer to it. But it's this second part. It's this thing about purpose and worth where we start to see a breakdown. Just last week, a new report came out from uh, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, and we learned that for the second year in a row now, life expectancy in the United States has dropped. Now think about that. We live in the most technologically, medically advanced, wealthiest, most prosperous nation that the world has ever known throughout all of human history, and our life expectancy in 2017 and 2018 has dropped. Now, what's most interesting about that is not that it's happening necessarily, but it's, it's knowing why it's happening. Do you know why it's happening? 
It's not bad medical care. It's not a lack of new technology or bad insurance or anything like that. It's two things. It's fatal drug overdoses and suicide. So much so that the life expectancy average for Americans has gone down. Drug overdoses are up over 10% for the last year. They were up 21% last year. Suicides are up 4% over the past 20 years by 33%. What's going on? What is happening with that? Now, of course, there's, there's a lot of factors involved in that, and I think we could probably think through a lot of those, but on some level, most people can agree that one really big and glaring important thing to see in all of that, that's what's going on in people's lives, is that they lack purpose. They lack meaning. And listen, if you want to hear that in action, it's not, it's not in, in uh, just looking at statistics or even reading a, a sociology textbook or something like that. It's in stories. It's in songs. It's in television. It's in movies. It's in our culture. It's in our slogans. It's the air that we breathe. Every culture divine, uh, defines what worth is like and where we are to find our worth. And every culture tells us what that is ultimately through these stories, through these songs, and through these slogans. It's the way we learn how we are supposed to be, how we are, and what we're supposed to do, what we do. And if we don't do the things, we're supposed to understand ourselves as being out of step or, or being out of touch with reality. Or some might say today, we, we could be on the wrong side of history. So in our culture, if you want to find purpose, the things most readily being identified are the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the homes we live in, the vacations we take, the drinks we drink, and on all that on the material side. And then in terms of identity and belief, it's about how far we're willing to go to accommodate any and every idea that any person has, and especially any idea that a person has about who they think they are. <clears throat> So, so it's not a significant jump to understand how very e easy it is for one to be a professing Christian, say, but then to get wrapped up in letting the culture tell you who you are. It's an easy thing to fall into, and so often that happens without our really knowing it's happening. So here's where we're going to go. I Think about this text from John, and we have three things, three things I want us to see here. The first one is this, and we see it in the first three verses. You need to be named. You need to be named. Jesus is using an illustration here of a shepherd and a sheep. He does that all throughout the Bible. And in this instance, we have a picture of sheep that are being cordoned off. They're in a sheep pen. So they can't just run away. And there's a lot he's saying here in these verses. There, there's a lot we could deal with, but we're going to stay focused. He's talking about those who would seek to come in and lead the sheep out of the sheep pen to take over the sheep. And he calls that person a thief and a robber. And so he's offering a warning here, right? And we see these warnings all throughout Scripture. Be careful. Be, be aware. It's a warning that Jesus gives. That someone will try to come. You need to watch out. They'll take you away. There are those who will try to destroy. Be on guard. But there is one, Jesus is saying, that enters the door. And when he comes in, what happens? He calls the sheep by name, and they hear and recognize his voice, and he leads them out. Now, there's a lot that goes into that as you think about the fact that the shepherd is calling the sheep by name, and they hear his voice, and they follow him. Have you ever seen a shepherd lead his sheep? 
It's an amazing thing. If you or I went out to a flock of sheep and we uh, knew their names or how the shepherd calls them and we tried to do it in the very same way, they would just stare at us. If they could talk, they would tell us something about ourselves. They would move. But the second their shepherd shows up and calls them, they move. It's an amazing thing to see. And why is that? Why do they do that? They hear the voice of their shepherd. They recognize that voice. They know it is the the voice of one who loves them, one who has taken care of them, one who protects them from danger. It's the voice of the one who named them. And you get this a bit with, uh, with babies, right? Babies are immediately used to hearing their parents' voices. Maybe their siblings' Most of the time, they're comfortable with those voices, and oftentimes, they're comforted by those voices, and sometimes only those voices. We've all been around a baby who hears a strange voice, and all of a sudden, they lose their minds, right? What do they need in that time? They need to hear their name from a familiar voice. It's the same as the sheep. They need to hear from the one who named them. The shepherd names his sheep in the same way that parents name their children. We need that. We need to be named. We need someone outside of us to name us. And and when it comes to working that in our our lives day by day, it's something that our culture does not like because it's something that we inherently in ourselves, apart from Christ, do not like. Our flesh fights that in every possible way. The idea that someone else is going to tell me who I am is something that I, in my flesh, absolutely hate. It just sounds oppressive. It sounds confining and restrictive. It's like being bound up in chains and having our freedom taken away. And that's all of mankind, but if you add to that fact that we live in Western civilization that has been founded on the idea that you find your own way if you work hard enough and chase your dreams, you have the worth and potential to get them, so don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Right? Now, in more traditional cultures, certainly see this in parts of Africa, Asia, and many ancient cultures, it was absolutely the case for the vast majority of humanity throughout history that this question of worth, it, it wasn't tied up in the individual It was tied up for many in the community. And so your worth was found in traditional culture when you were fulfilling your calling, your role within the community. And so that question, who am I or who are you, really wasn't anything that anyone ever asked. I'm the butcher. My father was a butcher and his father was a butcher. And guess what? My son, he's going to be a butcher. That was kind of what it was. That's how the question was answered. And so all of that was based on the needs of the community. My family needs a butcher. I'm a butcher. My dad was, and so that's what I'm going to do. And so personal worth, purpose in life was found in one's willingness to lay down their self-desires and their sense of need for the good of others, for the good of the community, that they would be taken care of and the family would be provided for. Now, in many ways, the West is almost the exact opposite of that, right? Oh, we can identify some problems there, but the West is the extreme opposite. Here's what we hear from a very young age in the West. Don't let anyone tell you who you are or what you should be. You need to look inside of yourself and find what you love about yourself 
and who you want to be, and you need to go for that. And if you work hard enough, and if you want it bad enough, that's who you can be. That's what you can be. That's who you are. There's no discussion about competence. There's no discussion about true ability. This happens so much and so often, and it's not based on any objective reality. It's not based on a person's gifts. It's not based on the fact that they are able to do something. It's based on feelings and dreams and intuition. It's why people go on American Idol or America's Got Talent and no one loved them enough beforehand to tell them, hey, don't go on there because you can't sing. You're terrible. No one loved them that much. And then they go and hear from the judges, hey, you're terrible. You can't sing. Go away. And they storm off and the camera follows them and they're shouting about how you're going to see me soon. I'm the next Mariah Carey. I'm Justin Timberlake. You just wait. And guess what? We never see them again. But someone told them all their lives, if you want to be a singer, go be a singer. No, you can't. You can't even stay on pitch, let alone sound halfway decent. But I was told to do what I want to do, what pleases me, and to not let anyone else define that for me. You have to bestow your honor and dignity on yourself, and it only matters what you think. Now, you see the direct opposition in these two cultural frameworks. In traditional culture, self-denial is the highest virtue. It's the way you find your virtue, you find your purpose. In the West, self-decision is based on dreams and passions and me doing what I want to do. Think about movies or TV shows and what they value, especially, our culture especially celebrates this if you go against family, if you go against society. That's the heroic narrative. It's not about dying to self. It's about living for yourself. You see that? Have you, you ever noticed in TV shows that are they're competitions? Everything's a reality show now. It's a competition of some sort. They could cut about half the length of it if they cut out all the stories. But that's what people, they share, right? They want you to hear that. They want you to identify with these people. But so often, what's the story? Well, you know, I, so, my whole life, I wanted to be a singer. But my dad told me that I had to go to law school. And so I went to law school to make my dad happy, but I was there every day and all I could ever think of was how I wanted to sing. And so, you know what, I I just, I came to a place where I don't care what my father thinks anymore, I'm just going to go and do it. And so I'm here and I'm going to leave it all out on the stage and and give my all because I'm going to make it and I'm going to show them. Right? That's the story we hear. It's probably that your dad actually was the person who loved you enough to say, don't try and sing, you can't do that, go to law school. And then everyone cheers and says, good for you, you buck the system. That's the Western narrative, right? It doesn't matter what my family says, my community says, I am who I want to be. But I remember my own life, when I was in the army, when we were training or briefing for a mission, There was always a reminder. Someone gave every time, and someone would say, remember, there's no place for Rambo. There's no such thing as Rambo. Rambo doesn't actually exist. I'm sorry if I burst any bubbles. He's not real. That's just in the movies. Because if Rambo runs out on his own in a combat zone, what happens to Rambo? Rambo really doesn't exist anymore. 
He's the sheep alone in the sheep pen when the wolf comes and the wolf devours him. But in the West, that's not what we hear, right? Rambo's a hero in the West, if you're old enough, I suppose. Leave your community and find yourself and do it on your own. That's the value. So the idea that anyone from outside of me would have anything to do with naming me, would have anything to do with me finding or have, finding my purpose in my life, that I might live a meaningful life so that I don't overdose on drugs or kill myself, that's offensive. I need to do it on my own. Listen to some music, watch some movies, and tell me that I'm wrong about that. You'll be hard-pressed to find otherwise. That's the narrative. Now, I'm not throwing rocks at a glass house because I love where I live at the time I live here in the West. I don't want to live at any other period of time in any other place in this world. And the West has been one of the greatest forces for good that the world has ever known. The idea of human rights, the dignity of every human being, that all arose it's in greatest prominence from the West, in places where the Bible and individualism and personal liberty and freedom were important. Because it was understanding that every human being has a soul and every individual is created in the image of God and therefore every person, no matter who they are, is worth something. Worth something to God and worth something to us. Listen, in the end, slavery would have never been abolished were it not for the West, were it not for Christianity. Same with the civil rights movement. It never would have happened. Prosperity and economic growth in the West never would have happened. Why? Because all of it is driven by an understanding that individuals have worth. Every one of us has an identity that is worth something. And that's a good part of all of this. That's a good part of this narrative in our culture. However, we have to be honest, it's not all rainbows and butterflies, is it? A lot of people, some of you maybe, sit in a cubicle all day, get in your car and drive home by yourself, pick up your dinner at a drive through window, drive into your garage, shut the garage and walk inside the house, and you've never really had any kind of conversation with anyone. You've lived a life completely isolated from community. And the more you grow in distrust for authority because of all of that, it just, these institutions and these people and this authority, it keeps, it keeps bearing down and I just want to be alone. And so you become more inward focused and more self-oriented because you have no interaction with anyone else. And here's why Jesus is telling us what he's telling us in light of this, that we need to be named by someone outside of ourselves. I need to be named by another I need my worth, I need my purpose in life to be defined for me because I have a lot of things that are going on in my heart. In my heart, in my mind, there's a few massive struggles going on that I have to deal with. One of them is that this heart is full of contradictions. And if you're a human being, yours is too. Our desires, a lot of times, aren't compatible. They may be important desires, but they're not compatible desires. Like, I wish every morning when I woke up, I could toast an entire loaf of brioche bread and eat that for breakfast. But I also want to keep losing weight. Those desires don't work together, do they? 
No, I want my life to count and I want it to have meaning and purpose, but I also want to do what I want to do regardless of who it helps or what it does in terms of serving my community or my neighbors. And those desires will conflict. And at some point I'm called to do something that has to trump another desire. And my flesh doesn't like that. But I also have to admit that I'm mostly, some of you are going to say, when did you realize this? We've known this all along. I'm mostly unstable. (laughs) But again, you are too. (laughs) You know, the older we get, the more we realize how little we know and how foolish we were. And then every 10 years, we realize how foolish we were 10 years prior to that. And then 10 years down the road, we're like, oh, when I was 30, I thought I was great, but I was kind of an idiot. And eventually we realize that we're all a bunch of people who never really had it together at all. We never had a clue, and you never get a clue. If I'm realistic about what's really going on in my heart and my mind, I should have a pretty solid understanding that I don't need to be determining things for myself. Right? I need help with that. It's an illusion to think that you can determine who you are. That's always done for you. If you're the person who defies your family and your community to go pursue your dreams, if you want to go join the circus and be a lion tamer and everyone tells you not to, the world applauds you and tells you that you're brave because you're willing to follow your dreams, you're actually not living as a radical individual. Your identity now is being defined by what the culture says is worth doing because they're applauding it. And we could do that with anything any of us decides to do. And so what I'm saying is it's not bad or wrong to want to do things and to pursue them. But I'm saying that to do that as an individual where it's not being defined in some way by what's outside of us is not possible. It doesn't happen. You don't have that kind of power in yourself. And you can't withstand the pressure. It's crushing to attempt to live up to the expectations that you put on yourself if you want to develop your own identity. Again, in traditional cultures, it was defeating because there was no sense of self whatsoever. I just was who I was told to be by everything and everyone around me. But now the pendulum swings to the exact opposite of that, and no one gets to say anything about who I am. Right? That's built into us from a young age. It's like the second kids start crawling, everyone starts asking, where do you think they're going to go to college? And what are they going to do when they grow up? And so all kinds of efforts are put into what the parents value for their kids, their education, their sports, their violin lessons, whatever it is that they, they do. All of a sudden, an identity is forming, Right? And when you make anything your identity, it stops being a good thing and it starts becoming this thousand pound weight that is going to be dropped on you. And the difference is between you and the coyote, or you and the roadrunner, is that uh, the coyote always, he misses. This thousand pound weight of crushing blow, it doesn't miss. It'll hit you every time. Why? Because you can't dump your entire life into one thing and find all of your purpose there. It's not going to bear the weight. Look, you can be in your small town in Georgia and be the best trumpet player in small town Georgia. You can play classical, you can play jazz, 
Uh, you can go and play all the holiday parties and stay booked every night doing gigs, and you get in your mind, I am great, I'm going to move on. So you pack up your trumpet and you take a one-way flight to New York City. And that very first night you're there, you go to a jam session at Small's Jabs Club, and there are three other trumpet players there, and guess what? All three of them are way better than you are. And not one of them is making their living playing jazz trumpet. I just banked everything on this. This is where I was seeking to find my identity. And I was really proud about that. Remember a few weeks back I mentioned that C.S. Lewis wrote that we're not proud because... I'm not proud because I'm great at playing the trumpet. I'm proud because I'm better than everyone else around me at doing that. And so what happens when I find out that everything I've wrapped my identity into isn't living up to what I hoped it would? My expectations are falling. There's some cold, hard reality. That's a cold slap in the face, right? If you're trying to find your worth, if you're trying to find your identity in something that can't provide it for you, you get leveled. Those things cannot live up to your expectations. They can't. They weren't meant to, and they won't. Good things don't stay good things for you when they ultimately become the thing that you're living for entirely. So what? If we need to be named from outside of ourselves, what is it? What am I even saying here? It's that second part that we read in verses 11 through 15, and Jesus is showing us that we need to be named by him. You need to be named by Jesus Christ. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, we all need the love and approval and esteem of someone else. It's, it's true. It's reality. We can try to suppress that, but we will have all kinds of problems and we become depressed and we turn to other things that are often destructive to fill the void of relationships. We were, recre- we were created as relational beings and so we need to relate to one another, but our greatest need is the love and approval and esteem of someone who can esteem us like nobody else can esteem us. Someone who will never let us down because everyone else is going to let us down. Someone who never disillusions us because others are going to disillusion us. When celebrities are found to be broken people who have messed up in their lives and they've done some reckless things, it's always amazing to me how everyone is so shocked by that. Some major scandal and then all of a sudden everyone wants to shut down their career and say, I can't believe that happened. Well, why do we expect that they're any different than you and I? They're not. But, you see, there was a dependence there. People were depending on them for something that they couldn't live up to. Nobody can. You and I certainly can't. We need someone to esteem us and love us and approve of us who is not fickle, who doesn't love us up and down based on our work that we do today, based on how we did in our performance from day to day. We need the one who calls his sheep by name and we can hear his voice. We need the one who isn't just a hired hand. When difficulties enter into a relationship, when the wolf comes in, what does Jesus say? That one's going to run away because he didn't really care. They weren't his sheep. We need the one who's going to stand in the gap. He's going to protect us from our enemies and the one who's going to say, I love you as much today as I did 10 years ago and as I will in 10,000 years from now. It doesn't waver. It doesn't change. 
Now, you, you wouldn't say a parent was a good parent if, if their love for their child went up and down day by day based on their kid's performance. It doesn't mean you're not going to be frustrated with them or irritated with what's going on, but your love for them is solid, right? It's immovable. We don't want the one who flees because he's a hired hand that cares nothing for the sheep. We need the good shepherd who knows his own and whose own know him. In book two of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Farmer says, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. And if that's true, it's only when you have the praise of the praiseworthy that you will know anything of heaven. Think about the first time you knew, if you're married, if you, when you knew that you had your spouse's affection and they esteemed you higher than anyone else. Or if you have children, the first time you really realize that your children held you in higher esteem than anyone else. Or you have a best friend, or you had a teacher, or a coach, or a pastor, or someone in your life who was willing to give you some time. And maybe they took you to lunch or out to coffee, and they didn't know it, but in your heart it meant the world to you because you had the praise that you were longing for above all earthly rewards in this life. Now think about that in relationship to the creator and sustainer of all things. To know that God loves you and cares about you and is, is giving all things for your good and ultimately has given his son for you. That will offer some stability, won't it? Because it's not based on how well you did today. It's not based on how well you're going to do tomorrow. There's a powerful basis to find your identity in that truth because... The basis is in the fact that he knows your name because he gave it to you. And the name is something like adopted son or daughter of God or a name like citizen of heaven or a name like member of a new people or a name like united to Christ. You need a name and that name comes from the name that is above all names because he didn't just show up and start handing out names. He did something really important he did something really monumental and world-changing to purchase that right and that honor and that privilege to give you your new name. And this is where Jesus ends in the text where we end this morning, is that you need to know the significance of Jesus' death for you. Notice the text tells us twice. The first time it says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the second time it says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus has the right to name you and give you purpose and worth in your identity because Jesus died for you. And so it's by faith, not by works, that you're found in him. And the amazing thing is that the Bible takes all of these concepts that we've talked about and really gives us this beautiful picture that God has created that we can see this mosaic of grace. The Bible shows us that Everything around us in our culture is telling us that we find our identity by looking inward and deciding what we want for ourselves and just going after that based on how we feel from day to day. What the Bible says is quite the opposite, right? The Bible tells us that to find our worth, to find our purpose, to find our identity is to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, to walk away from self-righteousness, from self-approval, from self-motivation, from self-desire, and it drives us to live upon Christ that we would find true freedom, true worth, and true life. 
That's a paradox, isn't it? The world tells us to look to ourselves to find our identity. The Bible tells us we don't have a true identity until we do exactly the opposite of that. And that individuality we so desperately long for, not just as free Americans, but more importantly as human beings, is put in our hearts by God so that we might long for a freedom that exists only beyond this world. A freedom to be who I am as a result of who God has created me to be. That means no matter what I do, I can do all things to the glory of God, and in so doing, I can find that I have tremendous worth, I have tremendous value, I live for a tremendous purpose. But I do that by faith. When I die to myself and I come to the fact that I'm a lawbreaker, I've broken God's law, and yet He's given me everything I need that I might live. You know that time in the Gospels when Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, who do the people say that I am? Right, it's the same question we're asking, right? Who am I? He wanted to know what they were saying and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, one of the prophets. Uh, And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the first to answer all the time, jumps up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so as we're answering that question, who are you? Who do you think you are? The really important question at the heart of that that you have to ask is, who do you think Jesus is? Has the Savior named you? He also calls himself something else. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And in order to come to him, he has to name us that we might hear the shepherd's voice. And so when we hear the shepherd's voice, what do you do? Do you love and follow him or do you reject and ignore or run away from him? He is the good shepherd. And the only reason you might reject the good shepherd is not because he's not good or not because you think what he calls you to is bad, but because you want to name yourself. You want to live for yourself and you just hate the idea that anyone or anything outside of you might call that into question. But that's the Christian life, to know that to truly live, to truly live, to have peace, purpose, satisfaction, and joy is to die to yourself, to experience death. Die to live and life comes from Christ calling his his own, making us his sheep. And that's the call that Jesus gives to each and every person. Come to me that you might live by faith. Trust in me. Walk with me. And you will know true life. Who are you? How do you know who you are? That's the question for us to think about this week. Look to Christ by faith to find your true identity. It's who you were created to be. It's what you were created to do. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this time to consider your word. And I thank you for the challenge that comes by your word, that we are forced to ask these questions of ourselves, of what we live for and how we live for it. And so we pray, O God, that you help us in our journey through life to find our purpose, to find our meaning, to find our satisfaction, to find our joy ultimately in Jesus Christ. And we want to enjoy all that you have given us in this life. 
We want to live in such a way that we receive the gifts that you have provided as gifts, but not unto themselves and not things in which we are to find our identity, but things that point us to the giver of those gifts that we might love and trust and desire you all the more. And so we pray this morning, O oh God, that you would help us to think about our own lives and where we put our hope and where we seek to find our identity. May it be always and forever in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his holy and precious name. Amen.